0: Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado.
0: We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
1: Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective, and our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us.
0: On today's program, a lawsuit brought by Indigenous people against New Tribes' mission could force many missionary organizations to rethink the way they do their work. And a new study highlights the vital role that churches play in helping those with food insecurities.
1: We begin today with more news from Liberty University.
0: Yeah, the way Liberty University has handled sexual assault incidents has come under scrutiny in recent months. In fact, we've had a lot of stories about it even here at Ministry Watch. This week, a new report by the investigative journalism organization ProPublica alleges that Liberty has discouraged women from coming forward with their stories um, because to do so could get them expelled. How would that happen? Well, when sexual assault takes place, alcohol is often involved or other violations of what's called the Liberty Way, uh, which is Liberty's code of conduct. So, women who might have used alcohol or been in violation of some other part of the Liberty Way code are sometimes afraid that coming forward with a sexual assault allegation would cause the sexual assault itself to be overlooked, but their alcohol abuse to be punished.
1: Is that a fear or has that actually happened?
0: Well, according to the ProPublica report, it has happened. They cite the story of Elizabeth Axley among several. Uh, She was a freshman uh, when she was raped at an off-campus party. Uh, She says that school officials told her that she had violated the school's code of conduct, again called the Liberty Way, by being at the off-campus party where alcohol was being served. Now, she nonetheless went to the police and one of the officers drove her to the local hospital where records show a nurse had documented 15 bruises, welts, and lacerations on her arm, on her face, and on her torso.
1: That is absolutely terrible. But Liberty has nearly 20,000 students, and while this case and the way it was handled certainly sounds like a problem, is it part of a trend?
0: Well, the ProPublica report found credible evidence for about a dozen similar cases. That's still a relatively small number considering the size of the school and the number of years examined, but it's a cause for concern among students, faculty, alumni, and the community. And I should probably add that those dozen cases likely represent only a small fraction of the actual number because in such an environment, cases tend to be dramatically underreported. And in fact, Today, as you and I are recording this, Natasha, which is on Thursday afternoon, Liberty students are planning a rally at Liberty to protest the way the school has handled these cases in the past. And among those who will be at the rally, invited to speak, include Rachel Denhollander, the whistleblower in the USA Gymnastics scandal, someone that we've had on this program. Uh, Rachel Denhollander's testimony in other cases have resulted in long Prison sentences for uh, perpetrators of sexual abuse, including Dr. Larry Nasser. Uh, and that uh, case produced wholesale changes in USA Gymnastics and at Michigan State University.
1: Now, when our next story also involves a Christian college.
0: Yeah, it does. Samford University, a Baptist school in Birmingham, Alabama, has disinvited the historian and presidential biographer John Meacham from the college's inaugural celebrations. They're planning this week to inaugurate their 19th president, Dr. Beck Taylor. Now, John Meacham was disinvited over concerns about his ties to Planned Parenthood. Uh, Meacham was scheduled to speak November the 3rd, which was Wednesday, as part of a series of lectures at the lead-up to the November 4th inauguration of uh, Taylor. However, the school pulled Meacham's lecture After a student created an online petition and a resolution that passed the Student Government Association, both calling for Meacham's removal from the inauguration activities. Uh, The Change.org petition was started by Emily Kirby, and it got more than a thousand signatures pretty quickly, and it stated that uh, they wanted Meacham's removal not because of the content of his lectures, but because of his beliefs in previous engagements. Uh, the petition says that Meacham's involvement with Planned Parenthood does not align with the university's uh, pro-life stand. The resolution passed the Sanford Student Government Association saying that the event be postponed for the same reasons.
1: So just how deep does John Meacham's support of abortion go?
0: Well, you know, he's not known as a pro-abortion activist by the general public. He's known as a journalist and uh, a biographer. But, in fact, those ties go pretty deep. Uh, On October 6th, John Meacham headlined the Planned Parenthood South Texas Annual Luncheon, which is a big fundraising event. And he also spoke at the organization's 2019 luncheon as well.
1: Well, Warren, it kind of feels like college day here on Ministry Watch. Our next story also involves a university, and this one is the University of Nebraska.
0: Yeah, it does. And before I get to the Nebraska story, let me just say that we have been covering colleges and universities a little bit more closely here at Ministry Watch in the past year or so, in part because they're very large institutions and they're so strategic and pivotal in our culture. So yeah, today— um, does feel a little bit like college day, and you can count on additional coverage uh, of colleges and universities, especially Christian colleges and universities, uh, in the years ahead. Uh, However, this next story is not about a Christian college, but about a Christian student group that has sued the University of Nebraska, a public institution, alleging that the school discriminated against the group's views when it denied a funding request to bring a Christian philosopher to campus as a guest speaker the federal lawsuit was filed by the group Roscio christi and it alleges that the university failed to distribute money to student groups in a fair viewpoint neutral manner which it is required to do the lawsuit says that ratio christi had requested about had requested fifteen hundred dollars in january from the university's fund allocation committee which it was entitled to do as a recognized student organization. The group wanted to bring in philosopher and former university professor Robert Audi, who is currently a philosophy professor at the University of Notre Dame.
1: The students are represented by Alliance Defending Freedom, a nonprofit legal organization that supports conservative Christian cases.
0: Yeah, that's right. And ADF's lawsuit says this. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln has failed to ensure its student organizations are treated fairly and objectively. It turned down Rachel Christie's reasonable request because of a blatant bias against its particular religious and ideological viewpoint. I should add that a university spokesman declined to comment, saying that they never comment on pending litigation.
1: Now, before we go to break, we have one more story, and it, too, involves a college.
0: Yeah, this time it is a Christian college. The president of Kentucky's Georgetown College, not affiliated, by the way, with Georgetown University, which is in Washington, D.C., uh, the Kentucky Georgetown College just fired its president after reports emerged that accused him of sexual assault and sexual misconduct against some of the employees of the school. Now, the Kentucky Georgetown College is a small Christian liberal arts school in Kentucky. William Jones is that former president's name. He was fired by the Board of Trustees after the college learned of allegations of a sexual assault of a female college employee, inappropriate behavior with another female college employee, and other violations in conduct of Jones's employment agreement with the college. That, according to a press release released by the school itself.
1: Now, the college received the allegations on October 31st. The Board of Trustees Chairman Robert Mills called a meeting of the board's executive committee the next day. The full board voted to fire him on Monday. So the college has hired outside counsel to continue the investigation.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I'm glad, uh, Natasha, that you brought up that timeline because I think it's pretty important. Uh, October 31st, you may recall, that was Halloween. It was a Sunday. And yet, literally by the next day, within 24 hours, the Board of Trustees had already acted. So while this situation is not good, I do think it is worth noting that Georgetown's board acted swiftly and decisively in this matter.
1: Warren, we need to take a break here, but when we return, a Christian couple uses baseball and adoption to share the love of Jesus. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith.
2: We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. That's SaveTheStorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, our next story is one that could have a profound impact on foreign missions.
0: Yeah, you're right. The vast uh, Amazon... Basin uh, has long drawn missionaries seeking to reach people who haven't yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the killing of Jim Elliott and four other missionaries in 1956 in Ecuador inspired decades of initiatives to remote and potentially dangerous villages in the Amazon region. But now, missionaries working with New Tribes Mission Brazil and other groups are facing a formidable foe, the indigenous people themselves, backed by laws that protect small, isolated tribes from pandemics and proselytizing. The Washington Post had a robust story on this topic on Sunday, and it said this, the biblical commission that followers of Jesus make disciples of all nations is increasingly colliding with the laws of man in Brazil, where the right to voluntary isolation is, in fact, enshrined in the Constitution, and where it's illegal to contact isolated indigenous groups without government permission.
1: And some of the tribes have sued missionaries with a demand to stay away.
0: Yeah, they have. In fact, uh, the, the first indigenous person to get educated and become a lawyer in Brazil is the one that's actually filing the lawsuit. Um, they The lawsuit names New Tribes Mission, names an evangelist named Wilson Cannenberg and his wife, and also Josiah McIntyre, who is a missionary from Alabama, and an evangelist, Andrew Tonkin. They're all named in this lawsuit um, that say that they have made illegal forays into isolated regions, and a judge has expelled some of these Christian workers. Brazil enacted its first no-contact policies back in 1987, to protect isolated tribes from diseases from which they have no immunity. But some missionaries have claimed that they are unaware of the no contact policy, which seems implausible since they're pretty well publicized, especially within the missions community. Others intentionally ignore the law, saying that the demands of the Great Commission outweigh human laws and that God will protect these people from disease.
1: Now, this is not the latest controversy involving missionaries in Brazil.
0: Yeah, New Tribes Mission and its missionaries uh, have had a troubled history in the region, including a 1991 expulsion of one missionary for intruding into indigenous areas and the 2014 conviction of Warren Scott Cannell for sexual abuse and for producing child pornography. One missionary, Manuel de Loevra, was convicted in 2018, of enslaving indigenous people to work on his nut plantation. Uh, Further complicating matters, some American missionaries have aligned themselves with Brazil's populist president, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, uh, who has filled his administration with evangelical Christian appointees. Bolsonaro has, in fact, derided indigenous people as prehistoric, and it suggested, in fact, that they might be subhuman.
1: Now, this story is just one of a number of stories Ministry Watch has done recently on foreign missions.
0: Yeah, it is. And we'll have more. Um, While we here at Ministry Watch absolutely believe in the Great Commission, uh, the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the way we do it really does matter. Uh, It's also important to note that continents that used to be destinations Four missionaries, Africa, South America, Asia, now have tens of millions of Christians already there who are active in evangelistic work. There's a growing trend towards funding those missionary efforts rather than sending American missionaries who will have to spend years learning a language and culture before they can be truly effective. We'll be reporting more on these alternative mission efforts in the future.
1: Our next story is closer to home, and it's a story of a Texas radio host who was sentenced to three life prison sentences Monday for a Ponzi scheme in which he built elderly listeners out of millions of dollars.
0: Yeah, William Neal Doc Gallagher um, got a 30-year prison sentence from State District Judge Elizabeth Beach for his August guilty pleas. Uh, All of those sentences, the three life sentences plus the 30-year sentence, will be served concurrently. But uh, Gallagher is about 80 years old, so even though they're being served concurrently and not consecutively, he will likely die in prison. The
1: sentencing came after more than a dozen senior victims testified during a three-hour court hearing about losing anywhere from $50,000 to $600,000 invested in the Gallagher Financial Group.
0: Yeah, some said that they had to sell their homes, borrow money from children, or take on part-time jobs to supplement their Social Security benefits. In fact, that's what caused Lori Barnell, who was the chief of the Tarrant County District Attorney's elder financial fraud team, to say, Doc Gallagher is one of the worst offenders I have ever seen.
1: Man, yeah, this story is so heartbreaking. But why is it a story for Ministry Watch?
0: Well, it's a good question, and the answer is because Gallagher and his Gallagher Financial Group advertised extensively on Christian radio uh, with the tagline, See You in Church on Sunday. He promoted his investment business in books such as Jesus Christ Money Master and on Christian radio broadcasts that he hosted. I wanted to highlight this story, Natasha, because this sort of fraud is a fraud that i see pop up pretty frequently. Uh, In fact, I featured a couple very similar frauds in my book, Faith-Based Fraud. People will use Christian language to get victims to lower their guard. Uh, This story is a reminder that if someone is trying to get you to invest money with them, even someone that you know from church, you should ask the same tough questions that you would ask of any uh, financial opportunity. If the person you're questioning is truly a person of high integrity, he or she will welcome those questions because tough questions give them an opportunity to shine. Tough questions, in fact, are a gift to people of high integrity. They welcome them because they will have good answers. But if you get vague or defensive answers to tough questions, do not invest your money with that person.
1: Orrin, we have so many stories that can be quite discouraging. I mean, stories about scandal and fraud, but it's nice when we can finally feature a couple of stories that should encourage Christians.
0: Yeah, that's right. And our next story uh, shows just how important the church is in helping care for the poor and hungry in this country. Almost half of U.S. congregations participate in some kind of food distribution program, according to researchers who analyzed data collected through the National Congregations Study, which is a nationally representative survey of congregations. These data indicate that in 2018, 48% of U.S. congregations either had their own food distribution program or supported efforts run by another organization, such as a food bank or food pantry. That's over 150,000 congregations in the U.S. actively supporting food programs. The study found that unlike government programs, these faith-based efforts generally provided help immediately to anyone who shows up.
1: Is this a ministry primarily for small churches or larger churches?
0: Well, both. Uh, consider, for example, Crossroads Community Baptist Church in Whitley City, Kentucky. That's one of the poorest communities in America. The population of this little Appalachian town is only about 1,200 people. And the church's food ministry, called the Lord's Cafe, gives free groceries to about 400 families in this small town. Also, when local kids are out of school for the summer, it feeds about 250 of these children three times a week. On the other end of the scale, you got the massive Crossroads Church in Cincinnati. It's a mega church, and it'll deliver 100,000 Thanksgiving meals to those in need this coming Thanksgiving in just a few weeks. I should add that between 10 and 15% of Americans experience some level of food insecurity. Um, So even small churches, when you add them all up, when you combine them with 150,000 other churches, also engaged in similar efforts can really make a huge difference. In fact, can come pretty close to eradicating that food insecurity problem. Wow,
1: that is amazing. Now, let's focus on one more good news story before our break. And it's the story of Patrick and Katie Beth McCarthy, who use baseball to share the love of Christ.
0: Yeah, that's right. Patrick McCarthy is the head coach at Faulkner University, uh, where he led the Eagles baseball team to the 2013 NAIA World Series title. And he's been a runner up in a couple of other years, 2016, 2017, for example. Katie Beth is his wife. Uh, They've been married for 21 years, and she serves as the unofficial team mother for the Faulkner baseball team. But even though Patrick has posted a 552 to 163 one loss record at Faulkner that's a stellar 772 average he and Katie Beth say that they don't measure their success in wins and losses rather the couple sees the baseball diamond as a mission field a way to introduce players many recruited from difficult backgrounds to Jesus in fact dozens of Patrick's players have over the years become christians after coming to Faulkner Uh, they thought, to play baseball. They ended up, though, having their lives transformed.
1: That is a wonderful story. And I understand that adoption is also a big part of the McCarthy's story.
0: Yeah, it is. and I know that's near and dear to your heart, Natasha, um, because of your involvement in the pro-life movement. They've adopted three children so far, and they currently have a one-year-old foster child that they are in the process of adopting in fact last year the family guidance center of alabama recognized the mccarthy's with one of its families of the year awards Uh, they both say that when they look out at the baseball diamond again they don't see an athletic field but they see a mission field and i think that's a pretty great perspective for all of us to have about our work whatever it is
1: Warren, we're going to take another break, but when we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host, Warren Smith. More in a moment.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. That's SaveTheStorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. And we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round
0: of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, we're getting news that some churches are starting to pay back their PPP loans, but I should add, not many. PPP stands for Payroll Protection Program. It's a government
1: program designed to help organizations weather the shutdowns made necessary by
0: COVID. Yeah, that's right. And more than 120,000 churches and uh, other religious nonprofit organizations nationwide applied for help through the PPP program. Uh, The emergency loan program was created by the CARES Act. It was a $2.2 trillion program. Relief and Stimulus, package passed by Congress in early 2020. According to an analysis by Religion News Service of data that came from the Small Business Administration, about 13,000 religious groups, mainly churches, were approved for loans of greater than $150,000. So this is just a very small slice of the total number of churches that received those loans. And of those 13,000, Only about 100 of these churches have paid back those loans uh, without asking to be forgiven. The repaid loans, though, do total about $66 million, which is a fair amount of money. However, on the other side of the scale, about 8,800 religious groups want their loans to be forgiven. And that was the way the program was designed, uh, and it's a relatively common practice for secular PPP borrowers.
1: What's next?
0: Well, this is the first week in November and we've published uh, a list of the top 10 stories of the month gone by, the month of October. To see the entire list, you need to go to ministrywatch.com, but I'll put you out of your misery and tell you that the number 1 story for the month has to do with that very same PPP program that we just mentioned. And it's the story of Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church in Houston. It was one of those very small number of churches that did repay its loans. In fact, it repaid about 4.4 million dollars.
1: And we also have our usual monthly list highlighting some interesting information from the Ministry Watch 1000 database. What do you have this month?
0: Uh, Well, we have a list of ministries from the Ministry Watch 1000 database that have a negative net worth. That means that the amount of their liabilities exceeds the value of their assets. Now, why feature this list? Well, in most but not all cases, uh, a ministry with a negative network is in a pretty precarious financial situation. It means that the organization has financial obligations, usually debt or accounts payable, that it doesn't have the current ability to pay. A negative net worth is not always an indication of future trouble. Organizations that operate in a frugal manner might intentionally refrain from accumulating assets, and a temporary dip into negative territory could be a natural consequence of such a strategy. But even for these organizations, a negative net worth should be a temporary condition. Donors should be wary of contributing to organizations that have a negative net worth. They should, at a minimum, ask the organization why it has a negative net worth and what they plan to do to get back into the positive. Uh, they should get assurances that the practices that created this situation have changed and that the organization is on a path toward improved fiscal health. And I should also add that there are some well-known ministries on that list, including Andrew Womack Ministries and Promise Keepers.
1: Do you have any final thoughts before we go?
0: Well, just a reminder that there's a quick, easy, and fast, free way that you can support this podcast, and that is simply to give us a rating on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the more attention we get from search engines, and that helps new listeners find us. And by the way, when you give us a rating, leave a comment too. I read them all.
1: The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Gutterd, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Sutteth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Steve Raby, Brad Fulton, Bobby Ross Jr., Jessica Mundy, Hannah Dreyfus, Bob Smetania, and you, Warren. Special thanks to Religion Unplugged for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
0: And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.